Hello, and welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we talk about various artist compilations, song by song. You can get early access to these episodes by donating to our Patreon at the $3 level or above at patreon.com slash discordpod. I'm Rich Bunnell, and I'm joined today by... Phil Maddox. And Amanda Rogers. I keep ending up with the two of you. I, I, I just can't quit you guys. <laughs> you keep trying to get rid of us, and we keep showing up again. Anyway, if any listeners are on Twitter, uh, please say hi to us and tell us where you're listening from. We're at Discord Pod, and we really, really love hearing from you guys. Finally, many thanks to the Hector Collectors and Kenneth Crayley, who helped us out with the music for these episodes. Anyway, we're currently working our way through Nuggets, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era, 1965 through 1968. We haven't heard the full title in a while, so I felt like I'd say it. So we finally made it to the second half of the comp. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be covering Disc 3, Tracks 1 through 8. So let's uh, let's start it off, uh, shall we? Oh, why not? Okay, so this is track one. This is the hombres with "Let It Out" parentheses. Let it all hang out. Don't limit yourself. I preach, my dear friends, you're about to receive on John Barleycorn nicotine and the temptations of Eve. Parking by the sewer sign, hot dogs, my razor broke, water dripping up the spout, but I don't care, let it all hang out. Hanging from a pine tree by my knees, sunshine through the shade, nobody knows what it's all about, it's too much man, let it all hang out. Alright, this song, uh, Let It Out, Let It All Hang Out by the Ombres, was released in 1967 and uh, hit number 12 on the top 100. Uh, it's a hit. It's an actual hit. So uh, these guys hailed from uh, Memphis, Tennessee, where they had, you know, kind of kicked around the local music scene for a while. And then um, apparently one day they heard uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues by Bob Dylan on the radio and decided, we can do that. And indeed they did. So they went and they cut this single, which was a pretty big hit. Most people probably don't remember it now in 2019, but, you know, it was pretty well known at the time. John Mellencamp covered it, apparently, in 1989, but I guess that's a long time ago now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's on one of his albums. So um, the band, you know, cut a couple more singles. They made an album, Let It Out, Let It All Hang Out was the album. But it didn't really go anywhere, and then the band eventually... uh, you know, broke up and just kind of went their own ways, like many of these old like Nuggets bands did. Well, what I like about this song, it being a, it being a goof on Bob Dylan, is that people were making fun of Bob Dylan from just like the moment he existed. <laughs> like I, I don't know, the real clue in for me in this song is this very very southern band singing about eating a very New York Reuben with sauerkraut. Yeah, uh, and that title is the first parentheses joke I can think of in rock music. Let it out. Let it all hang out. This is three decades before uh, it's gonna be all right by Ween. There's your Ween reference. Way ahead of their time. Or what's the story? Morning Glory by Oasis, which always bugged me because what's the story is in parentheses, but there's still a question mark at the end. So it the is title of the badly song badly punctuated. So yeah, it's you- just called Morning Glory. Yeah, Morning Glory. 
<laughs> so yeah, that that intro is hilarious. I like it a whole whole lot. And the song after that sounds to me like a cross between Bob Dylan, Roger Miller, and Country Joe and the Fish, with maybe a little bit of Arlo Guthrie thrown in. And I like all those guys, so that's fine with me. The song is completely ridiculous, but the band seems aware of that, you know, especially with the parentheses joke. So it ends up just being fun rather than stupid. And that intro, a preachment, dear friends, you are about to receive on John Barleycone, Nicotine, and the Temptations of Eve. That's a direct quote from an old novelty single called Cigarettes, Wooski, and Wild Wild Women, It's a, which is itself a drunken parody of just an existing country song. I listened to it. I'm going to need to hear that. Yeah, the song contains multitudes. I was not expecting that. No. Right. So it's pretty fun. It's an obvious Dylan knockoff. And the chord sequence has been used. Uh, it's one of the all-time tried-and-true rock music chord sequences. Probably uh, well-known um, for as being Gloria by them. Uh, exact same chord sequence. Or Save Me by Aretha Franklin. If you go back to our mm-hmm. discussion in ep- episode six, where we talked about I Never Loved the Man the Way I Love You. Or the very next song on Nuggets. <laughs> yeah. So it's the kind of band, like, it's a fun song, but you totally get why the band didn't really go anywhere. Because, I mean, there's not much here, but it certainly sounds fun while it's playing. I like the production. Like, as far as, like, people trying to, like, riff on uh, Dylan goes, this is definitely better than the earlier uh, A Public Execution by Mouse. Because at least (laughs) this has, like, a sense of humor and is fun. Mouse seems to act like he's trying to be the next Dylan, whereas this one kind of feels like a joke. Like, it's, you know, they're having fun with it. Like, they're still clearly comping his style, but I don't think they're trying to convince you that they're poets. Yeah, like, the hombres are clearly in on the joke, whereas I don't think Mouse and the Traps were. No. Okay, if we've let it all hang out, let's move on to track two. This is the Gollywogs with Fight Fire. With what? More fire? I think so, yeah. Because you're not supposed to do that. the second song in the row to use that uh, same chord progression fill uh, from Gloria EAD I believe it is yeah great sequencing there nuggets guys which means you can actually speak sing let it all hang out over the verses if you're so inclined (laughs) anyway fight fire was released in February 1966 and it didn't chart but it ultimately worked out all right for these guys because they are literally Creedence Clearwater Revival Woo! yeah (laughs) Woo. Yeah, this is their early incarnation with Tom Fogarty singing before John Fogarty took over on vocals and generally came to dominate the band's sound. Uh, the band changed their name from the Gollywogs as part of their deal with Fantasy Records to record the first CCR album, which is fortunate because Gollywog is the name of a fictional black children's book character portrayed as a racist ragdoll, so probably not a good idea to, to continue with that one. Yeah, they switched to a fairly nonsensical sounding name to most people, but uh, yeah, it's better than this. Well, I I can just see somebody at the record company saying, there is no way we are putting out a single under that name. Change it to something else we don't care what. Which it's my favorite example of that ever is um, you might have heard like kind of modern butt rock band uh, Finger Eleven. 
Did you just say butt rock? Yeah. <laughs> I've never, ever heard that phrase before. I haven't heard it in a while. Yeah, it's that kind of like, you know, gr- post-grunge, like, like Papa Roach kind of sound, like Nickelback <sighs> in that category. Cut my life into pieces. Right. But apparent, <laughs> but uh, I had heard one of their songs before they became Finger Eleven. Before they uh, got a became famous as Finger Eleven, they had released an album in Canada as the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. No. Yes. Finger Eleven's not no. a very good name for a band, but the no, Rainbow. No, it's really not. But yeah, the Rainbow Butt Monkeys is exceptionally worse. Wait, were they fifteen? They had to have been. Yeah, there's no way they were any older than that. Holy cow. Anyhow, back to this actual song. (laughs) You can sort of hear the beginnings of the CCR sound in there, mostly in the drums. The guitar's totally different, and obviously the vocals are different. It doesn't have nearly as much personality as John Fogarty, but that's really not a fair critique to make, considering how singular John Fogarty's singing is. But it's a good song. You know, I don't know if it's going to, like change the world or anything but i like the tension in the verses and the chorus is about as simple as they come but it's a pretty effective earworm i like this one yep it's a pretty effective nugget i've uh it's it's not that creative but i mean it's a nugget are you really looking for that much creativity here you're looking for fun garage rock exactly I've actually heard all of the, or at least most of the recordings of the Gollywogs, because a while back, like the way I have the Creedence Clearwater Revival discography, is they released a box set of like all their albums. The first disc of it is called Pre-Credence, and it's got, you know, a bunch of bands they were in before this, including the Gollywogs. And I can tell you, again, like many Nuggets bands, uh, this is about it. There's not a lot of good stuff there. It's one of those situations that really makes you wonder what exactly happened, because the first Credence album came out, and it's great, mm-hmm. and it's, like, not really very far removed from this. It sounds completely different, and the quality from song to song is just miles better. Yeah. We're going to have to cover Credence at some point and get into it further. Yeah. They must have gone down to the crossroads. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't hold up much hope for the tape deck, though. No. Or the gollywogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to track three. Uh, this is New Colony 6 with At the River's Edge. Bass honestly sounds like a string tied to a broom. <laughs> really good with that that velvet underground European sun bass line. Walking in the rain. Hot full of pain. Black clouds overhead. Oh, I wish I was dead. So this band here, New Colony 6, like by Nugget standards, were actually, you know, pretty popular. Not as popular as uh, Credence, but, you know, pop- more popular than most of these bands. They actually had, like, I think about 10 singles on the Hot 100 over the course of five years. So 10 Dang. hits over five years. That's uh, 
By Nugget standards, they're superstars. Yeah, that's the Beatles by Nugget standards. Yeah, yeah I checked out their two top 40 hits, which uh, 1968's I Will Always Think About You and Things I'd Like to Say. They're both on YouTube, and they're not nearly as great as this song. They're much more in the Davy Jones vein, uh, but not as good as Davy Jones. All right, so this one was actually the B-side to the single I Lie Awake, which I guess the Nuggets people figured, like, you know, well, since this band was actually reasonably successful, we can, like, kind of dig deeper into their catalog rather than... Pro- like just giving like their one of their hits or whatever. Although I have to say that outside of this song on Nuggets, I had never heard of this band. So I'm guessing that their success was very, you know, tied to the time. I guess one interesting thing about their presentation is that they were an American band who uh, dressed like, you know, in colonial garb and they were going to fight the British invasion, which, you know, (laughs) uh, that turned out great. Like, it's the same thing Paul Revere and the Raiders did, essentially, the same kind of outfits. And uh, yeah, that didn't age, you know, weirdly. It's a it's a timeless look that bands are still um, emulating today. I never thought of that, 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 that bands that took on this look were fighting back against the British invasion. That never occurred to me either. I think that's but what But if that's what they were going for, I love it. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. But how many years of an image can you get out of that? I get- at least 50, as it turns out. Especially because uh, <laughs> colonialism isn't really in vogue anymore. <laughs> well, that was dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, they were anti-colonial. All right. Anyhow, I-, I think digging into the political implications of New Colony 6 <laughs> is maybe more than they deserve. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the harmonica, the hand claps, and that bass line. I love that bass line. I- it's like somebody said to the bassist, can you play eighth notes? And he said, sure. And they said, hit it. And just went from there, and it's it's so fun. I love it a whole lot. By far the weakest part of the song is the vocals. Like, I would honestly be happy to just listen to that rhythm section for a couple of minutes and call it a day. <laughs> but, yeah, it's there's so much energy, and that really makes it stand out. It's got a lot of energy. Like, I don't think it's very memorable. Like, I've probably listened to this song in my life somewhere on the order of 25, 30 times, because... Uh, I've listened to Nuggets a lot, and every time I hear this, I'm like, oh, it's this one. Like, I can never remember how it goes. But, like, it always sounds good while it's playing. I am, en- I am enjoying the opportunity to dig into these songs I usually ignore when I listen to Nuggets. Mm-hmm. And you know what it reminded me of? I was listening to it again before we started recording, and it suddenly occurred to me it sounds a lot like Steve Martin's family singing on the front porch at the beginning of The Jerk. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in so long. Oh, you should see it again. It's so good. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Steve Martin supporter, of course. And I know as a bluegrass fan, you are as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really love songs like this that gradually pile on layers because uh, things like that remind me of Stop Making Sense, which is always a good thing. Um, and this song does it really masterfully with like first the harmonica, then the drums, hand claps, of course, uh, and then that, you know, that stupid bass you were talking about. Uh, it's barely even a pop song in the traditional verse chorus sense, but it it doesn't really matter, honestly. Yeah, it just kind of goes Mm-hmm. Uh, are we at the edge of the river's edge? I think we're done here. Yep. Man, I am so bad at these segues. Uh, so, well, anyway, this is track four, The Daily Flash with Jack of Diamonds.
song even written uh it doesn't sound like it no no yeah that one sucks uh-huh jack of diamonds was released in 1965 as a b-side to a cover of bob dylan's queen jane approximately our second dylan appearance in this episode and uh just to let both of you know in case you were worried that there wasn't a 6,000 word history of the daily flash on the internet thanks to their guitarist involvement in a short-lived corporate supergroup called rhinoceros that phil has probably heard of even um, I have not. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, anyway, I'm here to say your worries are unfounded. That history exists, and I read it. Oh, I was terribly concerned about the lack of Daily Flash scholarship. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to learn more about Rhinoceros. But anyway, the Daily Flash formed in 1965 in Seattle, though guitarist and singer Steve Laylor lived in San Francisco for a stretch. And that experience gave the band kind of a hippie sound, which was uncharacteristic of Seattle acts at the time. Their Dylan single flop, but they then moved to L.A., thus filling in more of their West Coast bingo sheet, uh, and they made a name for themselves on the local scene. And this included an appearance on the Man from Uncle spinoff, The Girl from Uncle, which I was unaware even existed until, like, earlier this afternoon. Well, that's more than me, because I am just now learning about it. <laughs> I, I barely know what The Man from Uncle is, so that's news to me, too. Isn't it an Elvis Costello song? Did neither of you see the movie? I actually no. did not. It's actually good. Um, huh. but it, it didn't it didn't look like it was going to be but anyway this is not a man from uncle podcast but <laughs> so yeah this isn't this isn't much like i've been saying that a lot like i'm gonna kind of like show my hand here i'm not a big fan of this batch of nuggets i think this is one of the weaker batches on the whole like oh yeah collection again like i i re i'm repeating myself because i've said this on other episodes and probably earlier on this episode but it sounds decent while it's playing but like this sounds like it was written in five seconds. Like it's, uh, it's a total toss off. It's I'm glad it's here. It's in the sense that like it's interesting to listen to all this stuff, you know, after the fact. But I mean, there's nothing really going on here. No, I, I'm always kind of disappointed that this isn't the Tex Ritter song of the same name. Uh, this is definitely not one of my favorites on the whole collection. I like the intro, but then it just falls apart. It's not an especially well-written song, if they even wrote it at all. It's very poorly performed. The bass line is really, really distracting. That guy's just going nuts back there. And I like an interesting bass line, but that one's, that's a little too interesting. And the production, of course, does it absolutely no favors. I mean, even for Nuggets, this is just a mushy, blurry mess. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I looked up other songs by the band on YouTube, and they're in more of like a sunshine, harmony-soaked, flower power sort of vein. And honestly, they're not the most terribly distinguished songs in the world, but they're all better than this song. <laughs> and I feel like in compiling this, uh, in compiling Nuggets, there was a general bias in favor of more like testosterone macho garage rock and choosing, you know, which specific deep cuts to highlight for this compilation. Yeah, that's definitely the uh, tendency. There's, like, are there any ballads on Nuggets, like, at all? I know there are some on, like, Nuggets 2 and, like, some of the later Nuggets sets, but on the original Nuggets box set, like, I don't think there's a single ballad. I was just thinking Laugh Laugh, but that wasn't on original Nuggets, was it? Uh, I'm not sure. Not on original Nuggets, no, it was uh, it was on disc 2. Right, but even that's, like, still kind of rocky. It's not like, you know... Yeah. If you go to, like, Nuggets 2, you'll start encountering stuff like I See the Rain, which is, uh, you know, very much a ballad. But here it's way more, like... They're trying to do the whole garage rock, like, you know, 
macho driving thing, which, uh, I mean, I didn't listen to this band's other songs, but I would assume they're better than this one. Uh, yeah, they're fine. Uh, it's just it's just funny because this is by far the worst song I've heard by them. Anyway, let's move on to a much better song. I think we can all agree. This is Lyman Sabell with Follow Me. That's a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this one came out in 1966. Uh, it hit ni- it hit uh, number 65 on the Hot 100. Um, so these guys are from Los Angeles, and their real names are Violet Santangelo and Warren Zevon. Yes, it's that Warren Zevon. Long, long, long before he became a big solo star. He had worked as like a songwriter, and like this was his first, as far as I know, commercially re- released recording of him performing. Which, uh, so, you know, it certainly doesn't sound like, you know, Lawyers, Guns, and Money or, you know, Werewolves of London. This is very early, which is probably why it was included here. It's uh, because of the historic uh, interest of it's the earliest Warren Zevon you can get. So, um, basically, this band, it was Warren Zevon and just somebody he knew. Zevon performed on two singles, uh, four songs total, A and B sides, and then he left or was fired. It's not really clear. And, uh... He was Lime in Lime and Cybell, and then they got a new Lime. They got uh, Wayne Irwin, who had played with the Monkees. They recorded, you know, one single, an A and a B side, So, um, and then they broke up and thus left behind, you know, six songs total. For a, sh- for a short-lived band, like, Zevon definitely, you know, you can hear, like, you know, there's some talent here. This song's really good. Like, it's got a really nice, like, you know, arrangement, like, the way the vocals intersect with each other. The Nuggets liner notes say it sounds kind of like a, quote, psychedelic Sonny and Cher. But I kind of think it sounds a little bit like um, the Jefferson Airplane debut album, Jefferson Airplane Takes Off. It's that kind of thing. I can hear that. With the same kind of like ringing birdsy guitars and like kind of the male female, like, you know, kind of psychedelic, but kind of folky, like, you know, vocal counterpoints going on. It's a really nice composition. Yeah. The problem with how I picture it is that the first time I heard Nuggets, I saw I'd seen a Mighty Wind a few uh, a few months earlier, and so I picture them as Mitch and Mickey from that movie, yeah. <laughs> especially because of Zevon's glasses, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which like match them up with Eugene Levy very well. Uh, even though Mitch and Mickey were more directly patterned on Ian and Sylvia, <laughs> that is a terrific guitar sound, and I was a little surprised that this turned out to be Warren Zevon because he's just coming at me from all directions lately, which is unfortunate because I don't like him. I'm sorry, podcast land. 
Uh, I've, I've given him a try. It's just not for me. Uh, but he's really good on this track. And Santangelo, honestly, those vocals sound Nico-influenced to me, but I guess that's not really possible because the Velvet Underground and Nico didn't come out for another year. But wherever this all came from, it's a terrific song, really sophisticated arrangement, you know, in the Nuggets context, especially those counterpoint vocals. And this is just exactly the right amount of psychedelic for me. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I want to note, though, that Lyman Sabell, their name is uh, their name is not capitalized, which is uh, something I find very annoying, <laughs> generally, <laughs> as a as a copy editor. Uh, but it's such a beautiful song, I'm willing to forgive it. What about the eels? Do you get mad at them? I, I generally get mad at that. Weezer, too. I, I'm not, <laughs> not going to reproduce your logo. All right. The, well, like, eels are especially annoying, because not only the lowercase, they're not even the eels. They're just eels. Oh, that's right. <laughs> just got to be difficult. But yeah, this one, like... I guess we talked about the other, like, in the last track about how they kind of, like, you know, were really going for garaging. This doesn't sound like garage rock at all, really. This sounds very produced. And I'm guessing it's here just because it's an obscure track by a guy who later became famous. Like, but I'm not complaining because it's great and I wouldn't have heard it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go on to track six. This is the choir with It's Cold Outside. And it has been cold outside, at least where me and Amanda have been. It really has. Brr. There's an ice storm happening right now. Which is going to sound weird because this episode isn't going to come out until like May or June. It's February right now. We plan ahead. Well, my world used to be sunny and jokes used to be funny, but now you're gone and everything's turned all around. Well, my world used to be warm and then there was a storm, but now you're gone and everything's turned upside down. Outside was released in September 1966 and then reissued in April 1967 when it hit number 68. Uh, the Choir is from Cleveland, Ohio, and this song was only really a regional hit and the band never really broke out nationally, probably because this song is kind of old-fashioned sounding in a post-Rubber Soul world this coming out in 1966. Um, mm. Yeah, and for that reason, it's considered a forerunner of the power pop genre, which, uh, if you if you don't know it, is basically any music that came out in the late 60s or later that consciously tries to evoke the sound of bands like the Beatles, the Birds, the Beach Boys, and such. It's one of my favorite genres. We'll probably cover a comp or two that covers it eventually. A- anyway, it's uh, this song in particular has been kept alive by high-profile fans, including Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, R.I.P., and Stephen King. Uh, and, mem- and members of the band occasionally play gigs. Uh, I, in researching this band, I actually found out that I could have seen them last November if I'd driven two hours. So I could have seen the choir. <laughs> I'm sad. Yeah, that that is gonna haunt you for the rest of your life. They might play again. They they've been. They, I think they've re, they've been back together since two thousand six. Like, and it's various members of the original band. Hmm. Well, since you brought up Stephen King, I'm just gonna take this opportunity. Are you guys familiar with the Rock Bottom Remainders? No, I am not. Oh my goodness, they're a band of authors, including Stephen King and Dave Barry and Amy Tan and Ridley Pearson, and they have a book that they wrote collectively and it's one of the funniest things i've ever read in my life i mean honestly you should read about this band and try and find 
recordings. They're they're really bad and really really great. I'll I'll keep it in mind. Yeah. As for the choir with "It's Cold Outside," holy cow, these lyrics are just one cliche after another, but it's somehow really really cute. You know, it sounds to me like they're trying to be the Beach Boys semi-successfully, and I like the melody that's you know behind all those extremely unimaginative lyrics which the Moody Blues later developed further into It's Cold Outside of Your Heart. There's our Moody Blues reference. There's our Moody Blues reference. <laughs> I think this is the first one in the Nuggets episodes. Huh. We got to really get on that with these uh, with these episodes. Yeah, or maybe our listeners are going, finally, they're shutting up about that stupid band. Even then, like, we're going for the deep cuts here, talking about the present. <laughs> That's a great album, you guys. You should all listen to it if you haven't. Anyhow, I like It's Cold Outside. Although not as much as it's cold outside of your heart. This this kind of sounds like, kind of like, you know, I didn't put together this was like power pop. To me, it always sounded a little bit more like, you know, just kind of a conscious, I guess that's what power pop kind of is, but it really felt more just like it was a little out of date. It felt like it was, you know, kind of an old Mercy Beat sound thing, like early Hollies or something. Yeah, the thing is that since so much power pop has come out since the late 70s and and afterward, I'm used to it being really like tightly produced. So hearing something that actually is from the 60s, it it kind of just feels like pop music. Right. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a solid pop song. It's the kind of thing like if they play if I was like, I don't actually have Sirius radio, but I've listened to like the Sirius 60 station. This is the kind of song I'd like to hear on there. Go, oh, cool. And then it moves on. I'm like, all right. And then it's kind of out of my brain. Apparently Tom Petty put it on his serious station. That 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 scans. It seems like something oh. he'd like. I listened to his show on his serious channel and yeah, he's all the time digging up weird little gems like this. Well, was I, I keep talking about him in the present tense. Ugh, so sad. I know. Okay, let's go on to track 7. This is The Rare Breed with Beg, Borrow and Steal. completely original composition that is definitely not a slightly changed around version of any other famous compositions was released in 1966 uh, but did not chart but then mysteriously this exact same recording came out again a little bit later by a band called the ohio express at which point it hit number 28 you might think like oh did the ohio express cover it did this band turn into the ohio express no and no again. So this is a weird story. So the original Nuggets liner notes don't have any information about this band. It says they were on Attack Records. And like for who's in the band, it just says personnel unknown. So these guys were, you know, they didn't even know who it was like playing on this recording. 
basically what happened is they were recording for a group, uh, Super K Productions. And they recorded this and one other single, which just, which neither of which did anything. And then they broke up. So, uh, the record label took this later and reissued it and put the name The Ohio Express on it. Uh, and then it was a hit. What? <laughs> yeah. This is literally just some other band's hit? Yep. Or non-hit? Literally just some other band's hit. Like I didn't. I hadn't even properly read this band history. I didn't even know that this wasn't actually the Ohio Express. I no. was like, "Oh, this is an early Ohio Express nugget." No, this is this gets weirder. So <laughs> hold on. So at this point, the band had a hit, or rather, the producers had a hit, but there was no band. So they hired a band from Mansfield, Ohio, called Sir Timothy and the Royals, to call them the Ohio Express. So, so wait, there wasn't even an Ohio Express at all? They just made up a name and slapped it on the record? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, they did a few gigs, and um, but they couldn't even get like all the band members together in the studio. So when they released their follow-up, which was a cover of a Standell song, only one member of this touring band was there. So Super K Productions, basically at this point, would just, you know, take um, songs by various people at their studios or things on releases and just cannibalize them. So this band um, had an LP, but, like, only about half of the songs were by the actual touring group that was the Ohio Express. They would just, like, swipe songs from, like, other bands that had recorded from them, like random B-sides and other tracks, and just throw them on the record and say, this is the Ohio Express, too. Were the Ohio were the Ohio Express an actual band at any point, or were they just some like Voldemort like presence or something? Kind of a Voldemort like presence. Like the touring group that like they recruited to be the Ohio Express after um Beg Borrow and Steel came out is the closest there is to a real Ohio Express. But even then, it's like they didn't play on like a lot of their recordings. Like huh. Like, even for Nuggets-era record company shenanigans, that is wild. So, like, but some of the bands that were on, like, their albums and B-sides, there was a band called The Measles that had their songs, like, cannibalized. This band featured a young Joe Walsh. Hmm. So Joe Walsh was kind of in the Ohio Express. Uh, 10CC were also uh, the Ohio Express for at least one song. It is really, really weird to think that Joe Walsh is even tangentially connected to Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. Yes. Uh, so the Ohio Express are probably most famous for Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. That is a terrible song. I've got love in my tummy. It's got, you know, some musicians on it. It might be a band. It might not. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, this is kind of getting into the later um you know, history of the band that doesn't actually have anything to do even with this band who were unknown for a very long time until I think sometime in the 2000s it came out, like who was in this band based on like, you know, some research that people did. So I usually don't go through whole band lineups here, but just because I feel like, you know, this band like toiled in obscurity and under fake names for so long that they deserve to be called out a little bit. So this band, like the real members of the of the new breed who recorded this song are John Frano on vocals and guitar, Barry Stolnick on keyboards, Joel Fiegenbaum on rhythm guitar, Alexander Botts Narbit on vocals and bass, and Tony Cambria on the drums. Way to go, Alexander Botts Narbit. Yeah. And how the name Botts Narbit didn't get into the Nuggets liner notes, I will never understand. 
Yeah, well, they didn't even know who they were until like a decade <laughs> after this the box set came out. That is crazy. Anyway, that band that band history was crazy, but we haven't addressed. Uh, this is Louie Louie. What? No, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, you knew that this time. <laughs> Unlike what two episodes back, I actually noticed the blatant ripoff <laughs> this time. Though, if you want to be technical, they swap out the E minor chord for an E. I, I didn't realize that that's a minor chord in Louie Louie. Um. A- anyway, uh, and they add a whole fourth chord in that bridge, and then we're in uncharted territory. This is oh, Louie well, Louie. This is a totally different song. <laughs> this is Louie no, Louie. Louis. Yeah. It's pretty good, though. When actually did Louie Louie come out? I real I didn't look that up, and I don't actually know. I assume it was before this. I think. I, I don't know. We don't have to look that up until the next disc, Amanda. But I do think it's, oh, okay. I think it's 1964, but I could be yeah. wrong. Okay. So is this Louie Louie, or is Louie Louie Beg, Borrow, and Steal? No, this is definitely Louie Louie. <laughs> Okay, let's go on to the final track of this set. This is the Sir Douglas Quintet with She's About a Mover. was released in 1965 and hit number 13 on the Hot 100 and actually also hit number 15 in the UK across the pond. So the Sir Douglas Quintet were from San Antonio, Texas's west side. And this is pretty interesting. It's an ethnically diverse area of the city with uh, several desegregated military bases and a really large Mexican-American population. So the quintet, they played what was known as the West Side Sound, which is a mix of blues, rock, country, uh, R&B, and most surprisingly, polka which you can actually hear a little bit of on this track, the oompa, oompa, oompa. And that's actually intentional because their producer, who was based in Houston, listened to British Invasion Records and interpreted the rock backbeat on the records as a Cajun two-step and asked the band to write a song in that style. So what you're hearing here is actually the British Invasion just, you know, kind of like twisted through a bunch of local influences. Anyway, (laughs) this is definitely a case for me where the backstory outshines the actual composition for me. But uh, it's 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 not as great a song as its story. But there's a clip of the band lip syncing it on NBC's Hullabaloo, one of the, an old variety show from the '60s. And it's neat seeing such a diverse band with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of Mexican American members performing on national television in 1965. So, am I crazy, or is this just a, a very slightly rewritten what I say? Yeah, it's the, basically the same song. <laughs> yeah, they 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 say what I say, and there's maybe a little bit of "Leave My Kitten Alone" thrown in for variety. But how I'm a little astonished that they got away with that. Yeah, this has been like not the most uh, melodically original set of nuggets that we've talked about. As the rare breed would say, there's a lot of begging, borrowing and stealing uh, (laughs) going on in uh, these songs. Yeah, I'm I'm glad there's so much interesting band history this time around because this set of songs is just not the best. Like, I feel like when we when it's time to actually talk about the song, I think I say, uh and the song is all right, I guess. Right. Like, well, like the rare breed story is amazingly fascinating. But at the end yeah. of the day, the song is just a slightly rewritten Louie Louie. What is there yeah. to say about it? 
we had nothing to say about the actual song. When I first listened to Nuggets, this was definitely the point where I started to get fatigued a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I've heard this song on the radio before, and I had no idea what they were singing. Really? In the chorus. Uh, yeah. And now that I know that they're saying she's about a mover, that's not actually very enlightening. No. I've no. Uh, this is a weird little song. I like it, but I think that's just because I like what I say. Right. I mean, I, I enjoy it because, it, but again, it's, you know, it's a nicely produced, like, kind of, you know, catchy, slight variation on what I say. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I like it, but I mean, you know, they don't get very many points for originality on this one. No points for originality for you, the Sir Douglas Quintet. <laughs> Take that. Oh, and they took that name because it would make them appear more dignified, uh, like 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 they were British. Sounds about right. Yeah. Why not? I guess it worked in Britain. They were like, oh, Sir Douglas, we'll put you on our charts. Go on top of the pops. Well, you know how class conscious they are over there. They'll put Mm -hmm. you on the five pound note. Sorry, British listeners. That might have been a little bit mean. Yeah, Yeah, this is definitely the least dignified song I've heard from any Sir, except for Paul McCartney's Fa You. (laughs) (laughs) Sir Mix-a-Lot. Mm. No, oh I, I, yeah has he been knighted officially or is that just an honorific we'll have to do some more research <laughs> for the for the sir mix lot episode of discord and rhyme yeah i think that brings us to the end so I let's think uh, so. yeah uh, well we breached disc three that was pretty fun even though the songs weren't very good no let's roll some credits what do you call this record with all these songs this is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. If you'd like early access to these episodes, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash discordpod and pledge at the $3 level or above. Our opening theme is performed by the Hector Collectors, and you can find more of their music at thehectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by Kenneth Crayley, and you can find his own music at kennethcrayley.bandcamp.com. That's Kenneth, K-R-A-Y-L-I-E.bandcamp.com. And his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC, with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. Visit our website, discordpod.com, for more info about the show and a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at discordpod. Follow me at zonetrope. Follow Phil at PA Maddox. And follow Amanda at magneticking67. See you for the next batch of nuggets, and as always, be ever wonderful.